the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. Two lines open, one 888 I definitely wouldn't mind if you wanted to call in and chime in on Deb's uh, challenge, Deb's dilemma. I think we all have been there um, where we go through this season where people don't get us. I'd love to hear from you on that. This, you know, that Talking about forgiveness allows us to actually engage and explore these kinds of things. So you've got a whole hour now. Um, if you want to just stay anonymous or, you know, at, at bay on this and, and talk about it, just what's going on in our lives when we get to a place where we actually are going through a cycle of conflicts with people and um, either they're not understanding us or we're not understanding them. Either way, there is a breakdown in communication, a lack of understanding. What might that be? If you've been through that experience, give me a call, one 367 And as I said to Deb, the, really the solution for that kind of impasse, that kind of conflict really is forgiveness, but it has a set of mechanisms behind it that I'm going to share today too. So God doesn't just forgive. There is a requisite. There are some pre-requirements that are essential to him forgiving us. And that also plays into um, the horizontal relationship between us and others as well. There has to be an offense substantiated validly. And then there has to be a mechanism by which that offense is removed and uh, and, and the variance uh, dissolved so that forgiveness can be the grounds upon which we move forward. Without that trifecta, um, our forgiveness is superficial. You can say you forgive each other with words, but in fact, there is actually no efficacious forgiveness when we understand what forgiveness is in its spiritual sense. Let's go to line number two and talk with Aaron and Hayward. Aaron, what's your question, comment, or observation? Hey, Pastor, how are you? I'm great. What's your thoughts today? Uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm kind of going to be a, maybe a little different subject matter than that, but I have experienced some issues, it seems like. You know, I'm kind of like a, uh, what would say, a teenage Christian or whatnot. I've been, I've been trying to uh, uh, maintain uh, relationship with God for it's been nine years now. Okay, and uh, I've been noticing a lot of issues, <laughs> right. you know, on the job and with family and even church. It's, it seems like there's always some issues. Okay, um, the more I, it seems like the more I study, the more I get in the Word, uh, the more these issues transpire. It seems like, in a way, where I would say it's just like someone people don't like you for uh-huh. some reason. Okay. You know, if you're reading your word, you're reading your word too much, or you're being too spiritual. If you're not reading your word, or if you're not uh, doing all the events that the churches actually have planned, then you're not being a part of the function. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's always some issue within the church, or issues within the job with, you know, trying to deal with coworkers, um, you know, not indulging in what their conversation, but trying to hold the integrity. Of, of what I believe or what I'm trying to believe in. So, okay. you know, it's, it's, that's, that's my dilemma with my struggles. Sure. And, um, 
But uh, but the one of the things I wanted to ask you was I, I was kind of wanting to uh, uh, get a little breakdown on the angelic host, and I, I didn't understand one thing where I was reading a book about uh, I think it was written by Diognetius. Okay, he's kind of breaking down the angelic hierarchy mm-hmm. on the three three spheres and the, and the angelic host. And um, so he went through the seraphim, cherubim, thrones, etc. And uh, what I was trying to figure out was maybe you can help me in this area uh, by elaborating on it a little bit on what you may have learned about it or whatnot. Is that um, Satan took a third of the stars, took a third of the angelic host mm-hmm. with him mm-hmm. when he rebelled? Did he get that from each? category a third or did he take it from just the angelic host dimension the sphere or whatnot yeah. uh you know the uh, where it goes uh i think it goes um principalities archangels and then angels did he is it a third of just the angels or was it from each category or how, how does that work what's your intake on right that? well i you know dionysius um, i'm not sure how how biblical he was or thorough he was was in the biblical analysis of of a category of study angelology that is not real wow. easy to do it's not real easy to do biblically because the bible doesn't um it doesn't direct human beings um, Aaron, into that kind of speculative sphere um, okay. uh, in an exhaustive way. Of, of course, the New Testament does talk about principalities in terms of um, the the seen world and unseen world, and that unseen world is a world of principalities, that is authorities, that is um, RK rulers uh, and powers of which Christ is both uh, head and creator of them, according to Colossians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1 as well. And that dimension is a real dimension in which this uh, physical terra firma in which you and I live is kind of like the battlefield. That's Ephesians chapter 6, you know, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the wiles of the devil and, and, and understand that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and dominions in high places. Right. He, Paul asserts that in, in uh, early first century uh, theologians, as would be Paul, would have known a little bit more on a... Um, uh, a material level, theological level, a scholarly level among Jewish brethren who um, were given insights into those sorts of things. It appears that Jude had some insight. It appears that Peter had some insight. Certainly appears that uh, Paul had some insight because they use the same terminology relative to principalities and powers, but they never expand on it explicitly in order to draw um, uh, Bible-believing Christians into that speculative world. So I would have to actually look at Dionysus's work to see uh, whether he's dealing with a sound biblical exegesis or whether or not he's pouring into it uh, some Platonic and uh, some some Greek philosophy around it, or whether or not he's dealing with some of the older Targum theories held by by um, pre-first century Jewish scholars. There's a lot of material out there around it that can be problematic. Here's what I would say. Biblically, it's clear we have seraphim, cherubim, uh, cherubim, seraphim, seraphim, cherubim, and um, and an archangel uh, authorial rule where there are also angels under their authority. 
But uh, that sort of um, structure, top-down structure right there does not kind of give us any kind of dynamic or, or interaction or play among them. It simply tells us that that's an army or a host that God himself created um, to serve in, uh, in, in governing and ordering the affairs of mankind uh, on the earth. And somewhere at the beginning of time, shortly before our simultaneous two creation um, the adversary who is called Satan or Satan and who is also called the devil um, did take with him a third of the stars. Now, this is symbolic language, Aaron. We got to be careful because the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. Uh, yeah. Numbers in the book of Revelation are designed for us to understand the symbology of it, not the literal uh, uh, numerical numbers. So when it says one third, we can't even really understand that except to say that there was a major catastrophic apostasy that took place in that realm of uh, angels where they fell into a status of demons who are headed up by Satan. And and obviously, um, he also has an intelligentsia, a host, a hierarchy, a structure of, um, uh, of, of minions that follow him. The Bible does not allow us, nor does it encourage us to press into that language or that sphere um, for for um, for the sake of uh, sanity, for the sake of um, peace and for the sake of stability in our soul. The way God told Israel and Israel was God's army on earth. And God was very much aware that um, Satan's host was coming after Israel because they were God's second son. Um, God very much told them, do not get involved in that whole angelic world. Do not uh, peer into the heavens. Do not peer into um, uh, wizardry. Do not get caught up into the the worldly doctrines and, and propaganda and, and teachings around these things. Make no mention of other gods. In other words, the people of God are really called to pour themselves into a knowledge of God, a knowledge of Christ, a knowledge of his spirit, a knowledge of his word, so that in doing so, we actually put on the whole armor of God successfully and effectively in order to wage war um, the way that God would have us to do it. So now let's put it down on the, on the ground in terms of some of the struggles that you're having. Um, cause I think that's the, the carryover, right? You are aware that we are constantly in a spiritual battle. We are aware that there are demonic forces. We are aware that there are satanic strategies and methodologies. That's the way Paul uses the terminology, both in Corinthians and in Ephesus, uh, which means yeah. they are deliberate, um, strategies by which to take out, uh, God's people who are representatives of God in this world. He did it with Jesus. He did it with Job. He did it with many, uh, in his attempt to try to um, overthrow their advancement of the gospel. You and I are dealing with that same dimension as well. We're dealing with that dimension. The key to dealing with that, however, is pouring yourself so deeply into the person and work of Jesus Christ, Aaron. this This is the best advice I can give you so that you don't go crazy with a lot of erring Christians who thinks somehow they can do battle with the devil because you can't. Right. 
You can't right, you can't right. do it. And what you need to be able to do is have a mind so full of the gospel, so full of the grace of God, so full of righteousness, of redemption, of sanctification, so full of justification, so full of imputed righteousness, imparted righteousness. This is the whole armor of God. Every piece of artillery in Ephesians six, six main pieces with two other auxiliary pieces is there for you to actually be enveloped by the promises of God. Each one of those pieces are promises and the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So the the armory, the artillery that the believer puts on are called the promises of God. And if you can actually capture that and make that a kind of thesis for you over the next several weeks and months, build yourself up in the promises of God, then you're going to actually have a better chance at dealing with some of the uh, adversity on the job, (laughs) some of the adversity at home, and some of the adversity at church, because it's everywhere. Um, If I had more time with you, I would actually be exploring how the your studies in the Word of God impact your attitude and character so that um, your attitude and character really is the sphere of engagement that you really want to uh, pay more attention to. How is this shaping me so that I can actually be a better employee, uh, a co-employee, uh, a better husband, and a better brother at church? Right. Because here's the point, and I'm going to let you go because I'm way overdue. If, in fact, the more I study the Word, if, in fact, the deeper I go in Scripture— and it does anything, it does nothing but create more anxiety in me around the things that I see versus uh, insulating me from the uh, errors of what's going on in the world and abounding uh, in my heart a kind of love for those three categories, the my job, my home, and my church, then I'm actually uh, taking away from Scripture on an application level some deficiencies. There's some deficiencies going on in my thinking if the deeper I go into the scriptures, all I become is more critical. Hmm. So, see, I need to talk to you more about that because we're we're talking on the phone and you're you're looking at some existential things, your job, your home, your church, and you are making adjustments in your life relative to, you know, trying to be obedient to God. What I would want to know is how are you trans? Lading scriptural revelation into your obligation in those three categories in a way that makes you more effective in those three versus causing you to want to retreat. In other words, if we're retreating from what God has actually ordained us to be a part of, and a lot of people are doing that, then we're making a wrong application of what we're learning. Now, I don't want to leave you hanging in the sense that I, I want you to feel bad. I just want you to start working through the application side of knowledge so that it amounts to you becoming more like Christ because Christ dwelt with sinners and publicans and and it it was a common thing for him to be among those that were not like him. And not to say that we won't have our conflicts and our troubles and our struggles, but they have to be more than challenges, challenges and struggles. They actually have to be assignments and opportunities. Listen, Aaron, I'd love to talk more with you about it in the future. Brother, thank you for the call. We'll keep you in prayer. Gotta take a break. Ezekiel, we'll be right back.
And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back. Three lines open, one 367 one If you're listening, Aaron, I'm going to share with you some advice around some fundamental principles about um, <clears throat> opportunities with people. But let me go first to line number three and talk with Ezekiel in Oakland. Ezekiel, are you there? Yeah. Um, how you doing, Brother Jesse? I'm uh, good. What's your question, observation, comment? I have something to do with forgiveness. Um, okay. You know, it kind of like piqued my interest when you uh, brought up this subject. Yeah. But what I would ask is, does it um, does it always mean reconciliation? Because if I can give you a little bit of backstory, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. basically I'm between a, a David and a and a Joseph, to where sure. you know family, you know, kind of like turned on him in a way, and you know David. They didn't even think enough of, uh, enough of him to even choose him for the king. And then Joseph, you know what happened to him. Right. And seeing the Joseph story, he ended up, you know, you know, all family and everything is kumbaya again. But I'm not feeling that way. I mean, I feel like I feel like I, I can forgive, you know, and I forgive in the heart and everything is cool. But I ain't about to go back to that. You know what I mean? Because I know you guys have hurt me before and had no problem doing it. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's like forgiving in your heart. Cool enough. But, you know. Thanks, no thanks. I saw this movie. I don't want to see the sequel. I mean, would God look at that bad? Or I mean, I can forgive him my heart and not hold no type of malice, but I'm not about to hook my life back up in the same situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense in the sense that <clears throat> I understand what you're saying. So there are, to me, three phases of, of forgiveness on the um, on the practical level. Um, from a one-sided forgiveness standpoint. Generally, forgiveness is to be understood as a mutual reconciliation of offenses established. That's what Matthew chapter um, 15, 18 is really underscoring when it says that if your brother offends you, go to him. Um, and if he acknowledges offense, then, you know, then forgive him. And, and, and that's where the disciples said, how many times? Well, the point is um, that forgiveness really... Uh, principally is the consequent of reconciliation and reconciliation um, is something that requires both parties being there, acknowledging offenses and wanting to work through it because the end game is restored relationship. Um, But what you're stating is that um, right now you recognize that we're not at a process where reconciliation is something that is actually practicable or, um, or probable. And while that is the case, then we are in a sort of deficient but often necessary form of forgiveness. In other words, I'm not holding ill malice toward them. I'm not uh, retaining the offenses that they engaged in with me on an emotional level or a level of imprisoning them in my mind so as to harbor anger or or, or criticism against them. I'm just at this point not wanting to actually make myself vulnerable to them as if um, not only did the past grievances or offenses um, that occurred are gone, but that somehow they, they are different in their disposition and their attitudes so that I don't have to worry about them hurting me anymore. And I don't think that that's what God would ever want for his people, that you would indiscreetly go back into an offensive environment so that they can continue abusing you. That's never what forgiveness means. Forgiveness exactly. never means that you expose yourself to um, to abuse. I say this with women all the time, um, Ezekiel, because women often are the brunt of 
misogynist uh, male uh, excessive abuse. And I would I would say to them, no way is God telling you to just go back and be abused. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, there will be a measure of forgiveness from the standpoint that you are not holding them um, under eternal judgment. You are not condemning them to hell. You're not even holding them uh, because of what they've done to you um, as a per- perpetual grievance to justify your anger. You are relieving them. You are letting them go. Afaimi is the Greek word to let go, to just release them, but you're not releasing them for the next stage. And that is to uh, resume a relationship with them on a level of, um, of uh, reciprocal uh, love and respect because that, that, that foundation hasn't been laid. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, like I say, it's, it's from two points, you know, the David point when, you know, if you read through the Psalms, he's talking about, you know, uh, you know, you know, kill off my inter- uh, my enemies, you know, uh, you know, the sons and stuff like that. But, you know, Joseph was the opposite. He he let him in, you know what I mean? And, you know, and just got restored. And I was always confused between those two. And I was like, you know, which one is godly? They're, they're both godly men. You know, one was a man of war. You know, the other ones was, you know, a, a leader. And they both took two two different approaches. True, so, but you know it's I mean? <clears throat> true. But if you look at the Joseph text, um, then you're not being fair to your assessment of it. Uh, from Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 41 was 20 something years. First of all, 20 something years, 17 to 37. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and that means that it was a process, a long period of time. It takes time when there are real serious offenses. A brother offended is like the bars of a castle. And that's why we do acknowledge, and I agree with you, that sometimes when people offend us or we offend other people uh, because of our sinfulness, we hold those grievances for a long time. And if people who have offended you are not born again or renewed or quickened or changed or haven't come to a place of remorse, um, um, you're going to keep your distance out of a principle of self-preservation. You're not going to build a fort against them to start shooting at them. You're not going to do that. But you're going to build, um, you're going to protect yourself out of um, just uh, just logical uh, righteousness. You just don't go back to be smitten again uh, by, by people who will act like your adversaries. That's not... Um, the position of David in the Psalms relative to his enemies. Uh, and that's not, and, and conversely, what Joseph did in chapter 39 and 40 was to test his brothers test at them. length. Yeah, yeah. The test was, the test was lengthy. It was involved. It was comprehensive and it broke them down and brought them to a place of absolute fear and abject terror that because just Joseph was a ruler, he had a right to kill them. They confessed and acknowledged their rebellion and disobedience, and thus he was quick to release them. And see, you, you're saying that we're not at that place with our, with our family, uh, our loved ones. And I get that. And, and see, God can do what he did for Joseph's brothers to your relatives. And one day you look up and their heart is right. And they're like, man, let's fix this thing. Well, you know, we want that to ultimately occur. Right, but you but know, well, uh, I want you to keep me in prayer then, because you know I was thinking about that too. Uh, God gave Joseph wisdom to even come up with that test, and I was like telling myself, I said, well, you know, Lord, maybe you can give me a test that I can you know put on them to see if their heart is uh or is it you know is their heart soft that they're going to come back or will they still try to look for any type of reason? Agreed. You know to. Uh, put a, put a knife in my back or whatever, and agree. Like, do nothing to him, you know. And it's agree. Like, you know, I had nothing but love, but yeah. So you know, keep me in prayer, brother Ezekiel from Oakland. Keep me in Gosh. prayer on that because I kind of want to get a test. 
because I want to do it the, uh, the biblical way, the way of the Lord, and I want them to say, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to do it the way of the world. I want to do it the biblical way. And so that's why when you brought up this uh, this subject. Topic of forgiveness, yeah. Yeah, I had to, you know, I had to call in and stuff, you know what I mean? And, yeah, absolutely. You know. Listen, Ezekiel, the whole body of believers that listens to me and prays with me for brothers and sisters will do that for you because we are all in that kind of situation one way or the other. May God prosper us all as he did with Joseph. Thanks for the call. I've got to take a break. All, right. all four lines are open. one 367 5329 All four lines are open. Let's talk. one 367 5329 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we have two lines open, one 367 If you want to call in and chime in on our topic of forgiveness and um, all of the wonderful callers who have called relative to that, um, before we go to the phone lines, and again, two lines are open if you want to call. For Aaron, Aaron, I want you to think about a term that I'm actually sharing with some of my um, some of my, my church family members around how to deal with um, with relationships that can be challenging and difficult and maybe even just, uh, again, um, you can be susceptible to, to being burned like our brother um, Ezekiel just stated. But what I want I want you to think through is the concept of acceptance. I want you to think about that. So when biblical truth truth begins to permeate our lives and change our minds and inform our thinking and begins to build for us a sort of framework for viewing the world, a a, a worldview, that biblical truth must also have with it an attitude that is Christocentric in nature, Christ-like. And the reason is that we're missional in our nature. We don't get to retreat from the world. That's not that's not biblical. It's not Christian. Uh, and it's an easy thing to do when we become critical. Biblical truth can make us critical, critical at the level of not wanting to engage. Now, evangelism is engagement. That's just the way that it is. And so um, while protecting yourself, much like I was speaking with Ezekiel about, which you have the right to do so that, you know, dogs don't bite you and pigs don't rend you. Um, that's the metaphor that Jesus spoke about. Uh, acceptance, however, should be the predisposition of your heart towards your uh, co-workers, towards your family and towards your um, brothers and sisters at church as well. If they know that even though you're going deeper with God in his word and therefore you are more discerning because that's what you become when you study, study the scriptures are right. You become discerning. You see things that are not right. You see things that are done, said, or not said, or not done that are not right. That's true. But it should not create within you a kind of holier than thou or um, a, you know, don't come near me uh, mentality. You have to actually be more counterintuitive toward those people who have not been graced to actually... um, Uh, Enjoy God through Christ and by the power of his spirit, that is the gospel, by embracing an understanding of acceptance towards them. Accept them. They should sense that you accept them, not what they do, but them. So the way we balance out the witnesses, you know, we love them as human beings. We love them as people. We love them as struggling sinners, as are we. And we accept them. We just don't agree with what they do or say or how they act. And we want to balance that out by a kind of censored honor towards them 
Remember, honor is discriminatory. Honor is discerning. Honor is not scandalous. Honor doesn't kiss butt. Honor doesn't, you know, brown nose. Honor definitely knows how to maintain respecting those persons as human beings for their gifts and uh, all of the positive qualities that might be there. And at the same time, keeping healthy boundaries. That's what you want. So that what they recognize is that you still love them as human beings, but you just don't put up with the nonsense. Um, let me see here. Let me go to line number one and talk with Lynn in Oakland. Lynn, are you there? Yes. What's your question, comment, or observation? Okay. I have a um, comment on um, the young lady. I think her name was Deborah. She called before. She calls quite often. I think I hear her voice a lot. She's like crying, you know, about people in her life hurting her or misunderstanding her. Right. And I just wanted to say, I think, is there a such thing? Well, I guess I have a question about people that have pure hearts and they just not like other people, people who try to stir you up or try to get your goal. It just seems like she has a real pure heart to me and she wants to get along, but the people she around are not on the same level as her. She's really seemed like a sweet person to me. Right. But it's like her crowd, the people, I was like, who are these people she around that's keeping her upset? Well, so so if we're actually going to be fair to the whole equation, this is what we would be doing. We would want to um, recognize that in this particular courtroom scenario that we're developing, um, you and I are jury. Um, Deborah happens to be at present the plaintiff. Um, but her accusers are not present so that we can't really make an assessment about them. We just can't. So let's just say that um, we are recognizing that our plaintiff has some real challenges before her. And until we can actually um, see her interacting with engaging with the people with whom she's having a number of um, of differences and uh, uh, misunderstandings, the best we can say is it's probably at the level of um, – of either Deborah not being able to clearly and um, effectively understand her her host or her guest, the people that are in her space, uh, because that can yeah. happen. You can if so, like if you and I are talking, and I'm spending more time focusing on me, um, Lynn. I'm not going to actually learn a lot about you. I'm not going to know you enough to know whether or not we're connecting on a relationship level on a dialogical level, just on a level of topics in general. And as such, um, I'm going to be inclined to misinterpret you or maybe not, um, not just misinterpret you, but offend you um, because I'm not, I'm not reciprocating equally with who you are uh, and what you, and what you are really meaning to try to convey to me. That's always a possibility. And that's why I was saying to Deborah that, um, in relationships, we have to understand the sub-narrative nature of, of two people. And it's always a real liability when you first get together. Like you and I are just talking for the first time, probably. I don't remember if, if you and I have ever talked before. Um, but therefore, I don't know you and, and, mm-hmm. and you don't know me. So in that sort of um, filling out space of getting to know each other, all we're doing is talking. So for a while, the only thing we have to judge is our words but over time, when I get to know Lynn, I understand the sub-narrative of her, her person, 
of how she thinks, what her value systems are, and and basically a pathology of 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 thinking that allows me to understand you. So when I understand Lynn, it's really easy for me to actually interpret your words. Right. And, and that's my next question, because I, I've had similar reactions with family, you know, over the years or history with family. Sure. And, and people I let in my space. Sure. Not, that's not family. And and so that's why I kind of relate with her. Yeah. But it, it, what I found out is you just hit it on the, what they say, the hammer on the nail, uh-huh. where people don't take out time to really get to know you. Right. And that's what I, I've experienced. And I, and I would tell people this after so many years. I've been on this earth for a while. I'm a grandmother and all that. Mm-hmm. But Welcome to like, the club. They really don't know me. I know more about them than they know about me. Sure. I have to repeat things to them over the years. It's like, don't, you know. And that's what, you know. You're I feeling about, about Deb, yeah. Say, I've been with you all this time and you still don't know me. Mm. And you're not, you don't even want to get to know me because you're so involved in your own Self. That's very because possible. I'm a very caring type person. I, 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 I'm very attentive to people. Mm-hmm. And that's my job. That's what I do. I, I don't know. It's just different. And I have lived a different way because of that. Because, But it took me years to understand mm-hmm. that they really don't know me. Boyfriends, whatever, I, whoever I had in my life. I was mm-hmm. like, I knew all about them. The ins and outs, the uglies, the bad, what they like, what they, the color, you know, whatever. I yeah. always... Yeah my whole self into getting to know that person. And right. I realized all these years right. that people really don't take the time mm-hmm. to know the other person they're dealing with. And when you talk about communication, I think about scripture. That's what it's all about. Yeah. I thank God for you. Yeah. I yeah. suggested because I've had, I've never heard a form like this all my life. I've been in and out of church. Yeah. yeah. And, and I keep, and I always had that thought is like, you know, we need to get to know each other. How are we going to know each other and get along or really understand that person? If you really, people just ripping and running and yep. and just, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And they really don't get to know their own families or friends or whatever. So it, it, it it's really a big problem. I thank God for you for, you know, this form, two hours. It's mm-hmm. like, I tell everybody about this. It's mm-hmm. like, who does mm-hmm. this? When, did, mm-hmm. when? I don't know when you started, mm-hmm. but it's good because it's an outlet for a lot of people. I agree. You cover so much, and I've been missing you for a couple of weeks because I've been busy, and it's like, oh, I miss them every time. But I said, this uh, Monday, I will not miss you. And the number was wrong, and I kept having the wrong number. They kept saying it's not working. <laughs> I said, Devil is a lot. I'm going to keep calling. And I had two of the numbers wrong, or one of the numbers wrong. But well, well, you got just, through, and you are so clear. I'm almost tempted to give you an assignment to call our sister because you are so crystal clear. I'm just telling you, uh, you would be a blessing if you had the opportunity to hear her out and maybe her share with you some some situations because you know, I can tell by your experience, you know what happens when people don't take the time to get to know you? So now, if you yes, ever want to take... I think I have called you before. Okay. And I've been to the church okay. a couple of times. Okay. And I've been trying to get... I need to go back, but I've been really busy working you. on the weekends. But you're right. I mean, I just never met anybody who has been so open and honest about God's Word, honest about 
what we're supposed to be doing, just everything you cover. I don't know how you do it. It's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Well, but, by God's yeah, grace. I, it's, it's by God's grace. It's only by his grace. And I thank is. you for all those. I Listen, I thank you for those acc- accolades. I'm hearing I got to pay some bills here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to let you go, okay? I'll talk to you later. Um, got to take a break. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. All right, we're back. Let me see here. I've got uh, two minutes with Joel on line number two. Joel, are you there? I'm Pastor. How you doing, brother? I got two minutes with you. What? what oh, okay. How, give I us some wanna, updates. I got, I got a question. Uh, well, we have the uh, ministry at... Uh, on Google, yeah, uh, prayer and suicide prevention, yes, and our phone number is one eight six six to Jesus, and we're having some struggles, you know. And I just call in to get your uh, ask a question and get your opinion on this. Sure. What do you do when you have your brothers and your congregation where they just seem to kind of lose interest? And I, I've got operators that that are kind of losing interest, and that that's really hard for us, and then it makes us a little frustrated because. We know we're working for the Lord, and he's our commander-in-chief and our great evangelist. And when we start slacking off on him, there's something wrong. Okay, so I'm going to tell you how to think about it really quickly. One is the kind of work that you're doing requires gifting, not just people, not, not individuals. Churches often try to fill spots with people, but people have to be gifted to do certain things. So what will happen is people will have good motives and they'll come to realize that there is a kind of gifting that's required to deal with crisis phone calls of the nature that you guys deal with. And without being gifted and at that level, they can't go deep and, and it ends up being a hard thing for them and they withdraw. The other thing is that with that kind of situation, you got to do like we always do. Continue recruiting, continue calling. You, you can't you can't let up. Like you can give me a call every week toward the end of the program or the first hour and we can we can put the call out there. That's the way that you build uh, teams. And over time, you you discover that one out of three or one out of five has the gift of compassion, the gift of empathy, has the, the calling to do it, too, because everybody can do anything for five minutes. But can they do it for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? This is what I found out as a pastor. A lot of people think they can pastor. A lot of people think they can teach and preach, but you give them a few years in the ring and you discover that they actually don't have the gift or the calling. It's a calling. And so you want to pray for uh, God to give you people who are called to that task. And then you got to put the call out. So those who have the calling were called. And so you got to continually do it. So find other sources of uh, recruiting and make sure you call me more frequently, um, Joel, because I haven't heard from you for uh, for a minute. But, you know, now that we've put it out on the air like we have, I'm going to be letting the prayer group know we got to get some more soldiers out there to help because this is a critical work that you guys are doing. And you need you need soldiers, men and women to uh, to take time out uh, to use their phones to talk to people who are in crisis situations. So the next time I'm on call a little earlier so that we can actually elaborate on the work so we can get people to um, you know how God works. You just got to put the call out and the call of the gospel goes out every day. And that's how people are drawn in. So we got to do some work in that area. But remember, people will come and people will go. That's the nature of life. That's the nature of the church. That's the nature of the work. Don't be weary in well-doing, brother. Thank you, Pastor. Blessings. Sally, line number three. Sally, I got two minutes with you, young lady. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) You're funny. (laughs) I am not funny. (laughs) You are young. Tell me me what's going on. 
I'm young in heart. There we go. Uh, That's the only uh, thing that matters. I, I've been in touch with Deborah for about a month, and oh, okay. we have absolutely no problem in rapport, but because we're both in this Holy Spirit school of Christ-like living. Yeah. And I think yeah. she's in a situation where there are many people that are have extremely hard hearts and don't have a clue as to what she's talking about. Got it. And she probably knows that, too. It's just that there are some days when it's tougher than others. Absolutely. I, but you but have I have stated. a friend who is um, uh, in her early 60s, has been housebound for, a, 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 over, well, probably almost two years. She um, has somebody in her church that comes, and they have a Bible study. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if there is anyone who is is interested, you know, then that's the basis on which... Um, maybe there could be a connection, like you say, getting getting a friendship going. Yeah, I agree. So what I would uh, what I want to do because we're at the end of uh, end of time. This this is going to be a breath of fresh air um, for not only Deb but for others who are in the same situation. I know you know what you're talking about. Um, maybe we can take this topic up again next week because this really is something that needs to to be resolved. I, I agree with you. Um, but it does require people, like I was just saying to my brother Joel, who does crisis ministry, you got to be the kind of person that cares. you got to have a heart for developing relationships. You can't, you can't be, um, you can't be coarse. You can't be hypercritical. You can't be self-righteous. It, it, that doesn't work. I don't work. think that's her problem. No, I'm not talking about, no, no, Sally, theory. I'm not talking about Deb. Yeah. I'm talking about other people. Yeah. I'm yeah. It's like, so when people are hurting, are, are in a situation like Deb, people don't know how to actually get to people like that because it's an awkward thing. It's a, you have to be gifted to be able to help people um, in situations like Deb. You just have to be gifted. You have to be gifted. In that's Jesus. In Jesus, it is so beautiful. Yeah, I agree. You know, bye-bye. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Yep, we're winding it down. But I agree. I agree that um, what, what Sally is saying is, is true. But see, Sally's a veteran, too. So, I mean, you know, you take <clears throat> um, Joel and, and, and uh, this is great. This has been a great program in this sense that um, when you really start thinking through the whole concept of forgiveness as the premise for relationship between us and God, it God means for it to pour down on the horizontal. That's what he means by if you don't forgive your brother, I'm not forgiving you. And you guys can fall all over the streets if you want to. You can wreck your car with what I just said. That's what Christ meant. And what he was simply saying is we got to live this gospel out as painful as it is. Um, and so, yeah, you guys pray for our sister, Deb. You pray for Aaron, pray for Ezekiel, um, all those brothers wanting to advance in their walk with God. And certainly we want to have friends. We want to receive one another, even as Christ has received us. Bless you. Pray for me. Okay, please. And until next time, God, uh, keep you. God calls his face to shine upon you. God lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.